just have a little prayer and we'll start. Dear Heavenly Father, bless us now as we look in your word. Open up our hearts and minds that we may hear it, understand it, and that we might love the things that you've taught us. Fill us up, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We've been continuing in our Lenten services, and it leads us here to the resurrection on this day. Our text is in Luke chapter 24, as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and we will go over to John chapter 20 to fill out the whole story. Luke's Gospel 24, going on to John chapter 20. I grew up exposed to a certain type of culture. My father was born in Norway. So whenever we were with his family, grandma and grandpa, or as they say it in Norwegian, bestemu and bestefa, my father spoke Norwegian. And we did all things the Norwegian way. Christmas was celebrated on Christmas Eve. We ate Norwegian cookies, fatiman and sprutbakkel. Fish was a common food. Grandma cooked a lot of fish. But food and customs were not all that it took to be Norwegian. There's a certain attitude that was often on display. As Norwegians are not excitable people, but they almost never lose their tempers, but they had a name that they used among themselves, and they called themselves squareheads. Now, if you were a squarehead, that meant you had your own opinion, and you were not likely to change those opinions. To be a squarehead was to be set in your ways. You formed habits, daily routines, and you made sure you followed those routines. For example, every time we ate supper, halfway through the meal, my father would say, where are my pickled beets? And mom always kept the jar of pickled beets in the refrigerator. She never put them on the table because we all hated pickled beets. But halfway through the dinner, my father would say, where are my pickled beets? And mom always said, in the refrigerator. And he would get up and get the jar and eat a few slices of pickled beets. Every dinner, halfway through. <laughs> Dad ate pickled beets. It was the square head thing in him. I would define square head as a mixture of opinionated and stubborn. And when those things were displayed in their behavior, then you were a good squarehead. <clears throat> it was a matter of pride. Norwegians used the nickname squarehead as a badge of honor. When they met for the first time, they say, you a squarehead? Oh, yeah, I, of course I am. <laughs> in our Easter text, we're going to see behavior that stands out, different from everyone else and very resistant to change. Reminds me a little of squareheads that I knew. On that first Easter morning, things started out very slow. Jesus had been crucified on Friday and buried on Friday afternoon. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, and Jewish law restricted behavior. But it didn't matter anyways. The friends and followers of Jesus were far too depressed and heavy-hearted to rouse themselves. 
the most amazing and fascinating man that they ever knew was dead. Shocked, confused, bewildered, and frightened. They were stunned at the swift violence of Jesus' enemies and feared that the Jewish leaders might come after them next. The only ones to venture out on Sunday morning were the women who were going to wash the body of Jesus and spread ointment and spices on his body and by doing so, give Jesus a proper burial. But when the ladies arrived at the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb and the grave was empty. It was then that angels appeared to the women with the good news, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Go tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. The death of Jesus had been so graphic and so violent that the angel message was hard to believe. Besides, how often do you have a conversation with an angel? And the fact remained, no one as yet had seen this Jesus who was supposed to be risen from the dead. But then things started to heat up. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene just outside the empty tomb. Another group of women met Jesus on the road as they were slowly walking away from the tomb. And the women all went back to the disciples and told all that they had heard and seen. But the disciples were not convinced. Now we know that sometime on that first Easter day, Jesus appeared to Peter. Probably to forgive him for his three denials and to restore him to his faith. But what happened at that meeting was forever kept secret. Jesus had walked with two friends on the road to Emmaus and discussed his death. And in a late afternoon meal, he suddenly revealed himself to those two friends. And as soon as they recognized him, Jesus disappeared from their sight. So now things are really moving fast. Four separate appearances by Jesus Outside the empty tomb, we marry the first one on the road going from the tomb to the ladies, on the road to Emmaus to the two friends and a secret location where Jesus appeared to Peter. It's now evening, and all the reports have come in to the disciples. And so we take up the story that evening, that first Easter evening, Luke 24, beginning at verse number 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. They were terrified and affrighted to suppose that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat it before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you when I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
And he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. It seemed to be Jesus' method on Easter Day, that first one, to appear and disappear. Not using doors, he just appeared. And there he was, all of a sudden, standing there in the middle of them all. And the logical conclusion was, he's a ghost. He just suddenly appeared. He's a spirit. So Jesus does three things. First of all, here, he says, look at my hands and look at my feet. They are nail scars. Feel the wounds. See for yourself. Ghosts don't have flesh and blood bodies. And secondly, to convince them, he goes a step further, and he eats some fish and some honeycomb. And <laughs> it tastes good. Wow. That's the same old Jesus. He always liked fish and honeycomb. <laughs> but the third thing Jesus does is to explain the whole process, his rejection by the Jews, his crucifixion and his burial, and especially his resurrection. And he explains it by quoting Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men, and he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet, and they cast lots for my garments. Daniel chapter 9, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And again, Isaiah 53, he made his grave with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea. In Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand upon the earth in the latter days. So Jesus explained the whole thing using the Old Testament prophets and he taught them that this was God's plan all along. So Jesus used their five senses to touch him, to see him, to hear him, tasting fish and honey and smell the strong spices Nicodemus had poured a hundred pounds of it on his body. But most of all, he taught their mind how to think, to grasp truth, to understand. He used the logic of the Bible to shore up and strengthen their feeble faith. And what a day it was. What a climax to start so slow and so low and to end so spry and so high. And especially to end with the mind all clear. The truth all explained. Faith so completely restored. What a day, glorious day that day of resurrection. But there's a fly in the ointment. And in John chapter number 20, verse number 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them 
when Jesus came. Why not? Where was he? Why didn't he gather with all the rest? Thomas was a man who was melancholy by nature. A few weeks before, when Lazarus died, Jesus had said to his disciples, let's go wake up Lazarus. Come on, let's go to Bethany. The disciples said, look, Lord, the last time we went, they tried to kill you. They tried to stone you. Jesus said, time to go. We're going, let's go. And Thomas, in his usual pessimistic ways, said, okay, we'll go and we'll all die with him. Well, they went. Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. But now, it's a few weeks later, Jesus is dead. And, La- and Thomas wished he was dead too. Yes, Jesus is dead. All hope is gone. The party is over. It can't be changed. So I might as well be dead. And the last thing I'm going to do is hang around with those others. So leave me alone. And let me swim in my own slough of despondency. So Thomas, in a deadly depression, refused to gather with the other disciples, verse 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Disciples finally locate Thomas, and they say, He should have been there. He just appeared right before our eyes. We touched his hands. We felt his feet. He ate fish and honeycomb. And he explained it all to us. And I tell you, he's alive. And that old stick in the mud, Thomas, says, Nope, I will not believe it. If I put my finger into the nail prints in his hand, And if I put my whole hand up into his side, then maybe, maybe I'll believe. But not on your word. I don't believe a word you say. Now, my friends, it's one thing to be depressed. It's a whole other thing to be just plain stubborn. The dictionary defines stubborn as refusing to yield or comply, persistently obstinate, and hard to handle. Oh yes, Thomas is stubborn. You would think he was a squarehead. (laughs) I feel miserable and I will not change the way I feel. I refuse to accept your words as far as I'm concerned. You're all a bunch of liars. Nice guy, huh? Pleasant. Easy to be with. He's not just depressed. He's just plain obstinate. His ten closest friends that he spent three and a half years with are trying to convince him that Jesus is risen from the dead and he absolutely refuses to accept their word for it. The poet says hope springs 
eternal in the human breast. Not in Thomas's breast. He chokes out hope with both hands and says, I won't have any hope hanging around in my heart. My friends, human sorrow, especially caused by the death of a loved one, is natural and normal. But when hope appears and offers a helping hand, take it! My friends, that's what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. Because I live, he says, you shall live also. The eternal hope in the human breast is clearly spoken by Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. My friends, when I go down to the cemetery down there, I stand by the graves of my father and my mother and my sister and my brother. And though their names are on the stone, I know that we shall be reunited in heaven. And because of what Jesus did, I turn around, I say in defiance to those graves, where is thy victory, boasting grave? Jesus has given us freedom and a hope and a victory, but now Thomas refuses to accept it. And in stubborn obstinate gloom, he says to his best friends, you all lie. I won't believe until my finger is right inside the nail hole in his hand. And my hand is inside the wound in his side. And he turned away, sinking lower and lower all the time. Something happened. And if I could guess, I would say it was probably the persistence of the other disciples who refused to let Thomas pour water on their fire. (laughs) They probably dragged him kicking and screaming out of his room and back to the upper room where they had seen Jesus a week ago. Verse number 26. After eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Once again, Jesus doesn't use any doors. He just comes in. Suddenly, he's standing there. Verse 27. And he says to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Exactly the word Thomas used in his stubborn refusal to believe the other disciples. I'm sure at that moment, Thomas got red in the face, looked down at the floor, and thought, boy, I wish I never said those words. It doesn't say that Thomas actually did stick his finger in the nail hole or push his hand into the open wound. I think he was too ashamed to do that. 
But in five words, he explained the change in his opinion. Verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. This is certainly a story that was told to show us the wisdom of changing your opinion of Jesus, especially if your opinion is negative. Or if you doubt Jesus. Or if you happen to not believe at all. The wisest thing you can do is change your mind and embrace Jesus with everything you have. Do like Thomas, bow before his majesty and say, my Lord and my God. That is certainly a good lesson for us on this Easter day. But I see another lesson. I hear another voice. I see the master of life. I see the victor over death. I see the lion of Judah's tribe. I see the Lord of glory. I see the king of heaven. I see Jesus, the resurrected Savior, made a special trip, made an extra stop, reappeared in all of his glory a whole week later just to reach out to a miserable, stubborn, obstinate, pessimistic, doubting, depressing, bad-tempered squarehead named Thomas. He was called Didymus, the Bible says. That means the twin. Do you think Thomas had a twin? Do you think there was two of them? <laughs> wow. My friends, just make sure you are not a twin to Didymus. But if you are a little bit of a squarehead, Never forget, Jesus will also come looking for you. And don't forget, he doesn't use doors anymore. He just appears. So believe and let Jesus clear your mind. You can live in hope. You can live in victory. May God bless you on this Easter Sunday morning as you trust in him with all your heart. He is risen. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming after such a fella as that. It gives us hope for such people as us. People like us who've done so much off, so much wrong, been so unmoved. We thank you you came looking for us too. Thank you that you found us and that we can say to you, the great Savior, you're my Lord and you're my God. So bless us on this Easter morning as we embrace the things that you have showed us. Bring to our hearts some special gift on this day that we might know that you are real and that we will be filled with the love of God that Jesus Christ poured out on us on the cross. Bless us, we ask. Be with everyone who's been here today and give them a special blessing through the rest of this day, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to close with a hymn.
hymn number 100 in your hymn book. Christ arose. Page 100 in your hymn book. Stand together with us if you would.
given us life eternal. We thank you for all you give us. Bless these people now because they've been here today. Bless us all. We might know you better. In Jesus' name, amen.